Hey guys, our interview today is with Cherry Victoria. He's one of my good friends. He works in the financial industry and we do get into a lot of conversations regarding stocks, um, budgeting, financial planning. And there was a there were quite a few other conversations that I didn't expect but I really enjoyed where we talked about Lawrence in the 90s. We talked about um, generational wealth. What does that re what does that mean? And, and is that even something that us Hispanics consider? We talk about um, Hispanics and what our retirement plans generally have looked like over the years. And just overall, we got into a lot of conversation regarding the Hispanic culture and the things um, that are good takeaways and other things that, you know, we definitely could improve on. And uh, I really had a lot of fun with this interview and I hope that you guys enjoy it. So uh, here we go. All right, so we're live in three, two, one. Hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? Good, man. You know, trying to take it day by day, just like everybody else is in this crazy world. Oh, yeah. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I just put my kid to bed, so, you know, we have a few hours. <laughs> Uninterrupted, <laughs> hopefully. We'll see. My little one is uh, upstairs, but not completely in bed. I don't have that kind of regimen like you do, so. No, <laughs> so but he shouldn't come. He shouldn't come into the office. So yeah, I'm sure. I'll, uh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> what? How old is he now? Uh he's uh, three. Three. So he's like a year and a half older than Xander. I'm sure we'll hit. I mean, we already had a little, like little uh, times when he just comes up and he's like waking up in the middle of the night or you know cr crying and just oh yeah scared for some reason. I don't know. Um, we, we we had him put it to we we had a regimen. By the time he was like one and a half, he was completely sleeping through the night, and then something happened, and and he waking up and going to my, his his brother's room, uh, uh, and and so that kind of ruined it. So we're kind of back to transitioning him all night. So he's still waking up in the middle of the night. Ah, uh, oh man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, more fun to come <laughs> is what you're telling me. Yeah, so everybody apologize for the bags under my eyes, but yeah. <laughs> but you too. Um, so for those, I mean, we've known each other for years, but for those of you, of for those people that are watching this that may not necessarily know you, um, could you just give like a brief intro of a few things that you want to share with us? Sure. Uh, so Chetty Ernesto Victoria is my name. Um, I hail from uh, Lawrence, Massachusetts, big up to the law town. I've uh, been here since I came to this country, so meaning I was born in Dominican Republic and came over here when I was eight years old. Um, so I've been here in Lawrence ever since. I, I, I moved out briefly uh, to the city of Drake for a couple of years, but, uh, you know, I'm back in, in, the, in the hood, back to where it all began. <laughs> so uh, I have a beautiful wife. She's a teacher. Uh, she teaches seventh grade. Uh, for the Lowell Community School uh, System. Uh, I have two kids, as you know, a little three-year-old and a 14-year-old yeah. uh, who's in Central Catholic, also in, in Lawrence. Um, first year so of high he, school, right? First year of high school, full remote too, weird. Um, but I, I just say it, at least it's not senior year because I, I would, you know, I, I you know, sorry, sorry for all the seniors this year, but uh, oh, yeah. at least it wasn't senior year. <laughs> you, <imagine laughs> you know, it's funny. So you mentioned, so you came from DR when you were eight. Yeah. 
I arrived here when I was nine. Yeah? Nine years old, yeah. Nice. I'm curious to see how our, our stories align or don't align. So with that said, can you give us like a little bit of your origin story? Like take me back to, to the beginning a little bit, not when you first came out of the womb, but more like how was your childhood like, you know, growing up? Like who was Chetty as a kid, maybe in high school as well? Yeah, so, so really family-oriented. Um, you know, we have, so it's just me and my brother, but I come from a, a huge family. My, my dad had, uh, eight, uh, total brothers and sisters and we were super close. Uh, matter of fact, funny story is that, uh, the name is, comes from a long line of Chetty. So my great grandfather was a Chetty, uh, in Dominican Republic in the Trujillo days. And then his dad, uh, his son, I should say, and then his eight kids, uh, their cousins all Chetty, my brother Chetty, my son's Chetty. Um, so there's about 50 or so of us, and we were super tight. We're, we're always, uh, at you know, back then especially, we were um, NDR, always getting together for holidays, huge gatherings. So, um, so who started it? Who started the naming thing? My great-grandfather. NDR. Your great-grandfather. Yeah. So NDR somehow, he's like Chetty, like, let's do this. Have you, so, have you asked you know, around, like, what the, what the background have, story is? So, you know, um, we got some time. So there's uh, – I haven't done the 23andMe thing yet, so there's a million places this could go where my, some family says, oh, we're from France, and some family says, oh, we're from some Jewish people up in Germany that might immigrate. And, uh, but somewhere in Europe, some, my great-grandfather immigrated to the Dominican Republic, um and and that's where it came from is chetty over there i don't know how that originated over there hmm. um but he was able to you know get some land get some status he was uh placed in uh so i don't know how much you know about the story of Trujillo, but during that time he got deposed and a certain group of people were were in government hmm. uh until uh elections were made uh, but so he was one of the governing bodies of of the of the island, uh, oh, really? specifically the San Francisco Macorí kind of area, um, yeah. and so you know he was well renowned. So oh, I'm gonna name my son that, and then everybody knows him. So I'm gonna name my son's that, and then and mm. so on and so forth. So it's known in that particular particular region. We're big out there, but <laughs> and then it uh, began, and then it just went on from there. Yeah. <laughs> And they so, brought it to the states in the eighties. So, do do you think your children will carry on the uh, like? Is it like a must for your family, or is it kind of like is is it uh, is there a little bit of peer pressure to continue the? <laughs> there is, especially if you're the firstborn, which I am. So there's a little bit of pressure <laughs> when it comes to that. So yeah, for sure. Um, you know, but but again, I think for me, it was more like that sense of family and community and, mm. you know, um, that, that I really cherished. And then when we came over here, we were the only ones. So I missed mm. that. Um, and then eventually over the years, some of my cousins and uncles uh, immigrated over here as well. So now there's, you know, about 13 to 20 of us here. Um, but of that second generation, I am... There's two of us who, who've kept the tradition to, to our sons. Mm. 
So, so have you had a talk now, with your son? Like, hey, listen, listen, bro, this Chetty thing. <laughs> I haven't yet. Um, he's 14. So, you know, <laughs> got a little time. Quite yet, right. Um, but, you know, I, I'll leave it up to him. There, there's no pressure for him. There's, you know, uh, if, even if it's the middle name or whatever, because that, that's what I thought at one point. I'll, I'll put mm, it for the middle name. But. Yeah. You know, I, try, I tried that from with us so i had spoken to to um my wife Minati, and even when we were dating i was like adamant like listen like you need to know this before you marry me because my son is going to be named after me like that was mm -hmm. the prerequisite like i had told Lost that one huh <laughs> Lost well, that one <laughs> let's just god won that one let's just say that. <laughs> so So, you know, she was cool with it up until, like, you know, she's, um, I think she's, I don't remember if she was pregnant or not at the time when we had this conversation. But at some point, she was kind of, like, um, worried about Xander. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll beat you. Like, what's, I will ruin the ending for you. My, my son is named Alexander. Um, but he does have, um, his middle name is Manuel. So, okay. So, like, so that was the compromise, right? Um, she was worried that he wasn't going to be his own person and, like, you know, in the May, like, all this, like, stuff. My, my, my wife, she, she worries a little bit. Worries a lot. <laughs> so um, after, She's you know, we had wife, that conversation. Huh? She's friends with my wife, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when she first brought this up, like, I was not having it, dude. Like, I was like, we, I talked to you about this. I don't even want to hear it, like. It was a week where, like, I, I didn't even want to talk about it. And then <laughs> I, just, I had to take some time, you know, and try to look at her perspective. And long story short, um, I told her, look, this is the compromise that I'm, that I'm willing to make. We can, we can swap them. Instead of being Manuel Alexander, he can be Alexander Manuel. But any other male that we have, they're going to have the name Manuel as a second, as a second name. So that was kind of like the compromise that that we arrived at there. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we, we kind of digress. So you come here from DR, you're nine. Like, what's your childhood like? Uh, you mentioned that you moved a little... Well, Drake, that was later on when you were kind of growing, yeah, right? Yeah, that, so that like, was... That was so, a couple so growing years up in Lawrence, yeah. talk to me about that. How was that for you? Growing up in Lawrence in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the city was uh, a little bit in turmoil. So, it, you know, it's, it's not the city that it was today or back then uh it was it was much more uh gang related there's so many gangs mm. uh, but, so but it was better the 90s. now it's better now yeah actually it is, now. Okay. it is definitely better now it's definitely progressed uh over over the course of the because Lawrence still gets a bad rep today like whenever so the few times that i've moved jobs that people ask me where i'm from or where i live and i mention Lawrence, it's like you get that stare like Ooh, Lawrence, right Yeah, I mean, and it's for it's because of the '80s and '90s, you know. I mean, it's because mm -hmm. of those because of those years, um, you know, where it was gangs everywhere. It was, you know, uh, Lawrence High was at that point was on Lawrence Street in front of the 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 library that we see today. Um, so that was the Lawrence High. It wasn't a huge building down in South Lawrence at that point for those that live in the in the Merrimack Valley region, no Lawrence. Um, 
but every every couple days there would be you know either you know a, a fight or a shootout or, or stabbing or you know mm. um, so there'd always be something. Um, and so my parents decided to send me over to, to the boat actually. So I went to the boat because oh, of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they're like, you're not going to Lawrence high. Like it was like a, no, like it no was way. like a definite, no, no, you're not going there. You're going to the boat. Um, so, so that's where I went to high school. It was, it, you know, so I went to the frost school for those that know the, the region. So I went, I actually been all over the place. I went to the Arlington. I went to the Weatherby. I went to the frost and then, ended up going to, to the boat because I lived in that, in that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had, you know, by all, all accounts, I had a pretty good childhood. You know, I had two parents in the household. I, I was winning regardless of the money yeah. situation. <laughs> I was definitely ahead of the curve yeah. uh, for most people. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we always had like that family connection. So even though my family wasn't here, the friends that we had were family, like that we still associate to today. I call them cousins. Like mm. they're, they're, we're tight. Um, so like they would go and, you know, that, that group of parents would go out and party, you know, they, they weren't church goers or whatever. Right. We weren't at that point. So they would go out and party and leave us all in one household and then like mm. kind of rotate households. So we kind of babysat each other. And, you know, right. it was, it was, it was a fun time. I, I, yeah. I won't lie. It was, it was pretty uh, a cool childhood. Yeah, it sounds like it. Like for me, so my my dad, uh, he's one of like eight, I think, and primarily my my dad's family's here. My mother's are, they're primarily still in DR, but you know I grew up playing with my cousins outside. You know, playing baseball. You know, riding bikes and stuff. So it was very uh, family oriented uh, growing up. So I, I think that definitely helped. Uh, keep me out of trouble you know you have a pretty good head on your shoulders now i would say were you always that way like growing up were you just like always like a a guy that you know had goals and you're pretty set on your ways or were you like were you a troublemaker were you the cool guy were you like the nerd like talk to me a little bit about that was there a transition have you always been kind of like okay goal oriented this is how we do things like no, definitely not goal oriented when i was that age i was more of you know uh you you kind of mimic what you see, right? So if mm. if your part if your parents are like into the party scene, you want to be the life of the party, and you want to go out and party and do things, and you know. So so my friends um, were able to, you know, we were able to to go out to parties, and you know, we drank and smoked, and you know, uh, I I went through a phase, right, for right, for, right. <laughs> for first years, uh, well, for several years actually. Um, so you know, it, it's. Today, uh, it's a completely different person than I, when I was, even in my early 20s. Um, yeah. So, so what it, happens it, after high school? So you're, uh, you know, you're this kid that likes to, you know, you growing up, you saw the parties. That was kind of like what you were into, imitating your environment. What happens after that, after, after high school for you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I get into um, more of the party scene. I okay. get into the, the like the drug lifestyle a little bit, um, you know, selling and, and, you know, little bits here and here. Not not like a huge kingpin mm-hmm. type of thing, but just like here and there. Um, I'm, I'm, it's statute of limitations. I'm 38. So that's way <laughs> I'm not incriminating myself. <laughs> uh, but. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, it's that lifestyle, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, going out, you, you know, you go out to parties on the weekends and, 
um, try to have the, the nice cars and the nice girls and, you know, go to New York as often as possible because my, so my cousin lived in New York, so you party in New York because it's a New York lifestyle. You never, never sleeps, right? So, uh, so I, I kind of started here and then moved to New York and not literally, but like the party scene, I moved into New York right. on the weekends and, so you're driving like four hours or three and a half hours to come back, like before the just to go over to. Oh yeah. wow, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's intense. Much. Uh, and then, and so my cousin is like a promoter, so he's, uh, uh, so he's, you know, he was in, uh, he had connections to like Teo Calderon and some of the and 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 uh, um, Akon. For those of you who know Akon, so he, you know, he was into the music scene, so it was fun, right? And mm-hmm. I had it in, so. So it was a it was a fun time during those days. So when um so when do when does when do you make that transition? Because obviously you're not out there selling drugs and partying now, right? You're not going to New York, <laughs> coming back. Right. I'm sure uh, you would have been divorced by now if that was the case. So yeah. So, so what change or, or when does that change happen? Like for you. So and and by the way, uh, during this time, I enlisted in the military. Right, so I'm in okay, the military. So how I'm old were you when you got into the military? I was 17. 17. How was how was before we even get into how was that for you? By the way, I mean, you know, we we both know my brother. He got in the military. Yeah. He had a he had a tough time. He had a tough time in there. How was that for you? You know, I I I don't think it was too much of a tough time. I think people definitely some people take it, you know, really tough depending on. The, the the character and, and you know if you have if you can't have somebody yell at you in front of your mm-hmm. face right. two two you know centimeters off your face then yeah right. you're gonna have a hard time but they try to break that down for you right and it right. builds character so I had some character um, so you know basic training was fine uh, and I actually went into into the guard um, so I was able to to live you know to go some weekends and go over the summer and, and, and live that lifestyle for the summer and then come back to a regular life. So, so why the military? I, I've always look. I love this country as much as the next guy, but I, I would never join the military myself. So like what I have a, a deep appreciation for people that, that do and respect. Um, so, so what, um, what drove you to, to enlist in the uh, military? Like what, what was happening during that time? What, what uh, compelled you to, to make that decision? Yeah, uh, 17, there's a lot of stupidity involved with a decision like that, I guess. At 17, you know, it wasn't really, like, intentional. Like, mm. I always, I didn't always want to be a military guy. It just so happened to, you know, meet with a recruiter and sold me the, the goods of, hey, I'll pay for college. And by the way, you, the trade-off is you might have to, you know, be in harm's way. Um, so... Uh, you know, so it was a whole college thing lure because I kind of had that in the back of my mind that I had to do that. I had mm. to go to college. I, somehow, some way, I got to pay for it. Uh, I, I was always about, like, not getting too much into debt. So I was like, okay, that, that seems good for me. Um, so so that's but, why, that's how I enlisted. So primarily it was like this paying for college thing sounds like a good deal to me. So let me. Right kind of go that route you know that's that's funny you mentioned that and and i've i've spoken to several people about this and it seems like the permit the prevailing notion uh for and, and i think especially parents that migrate over here is that um education 
and not 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 just education but a college education is going to be the only way that i can assure that my kid will have a good future right is is yeah. that something that 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 you've seen on your end and also um Absolutely. how much do you agree with that i that's definitely part of the latino culture especially the immigrant latino culture right because if you think about our parents Uh, my parents specifically, I can speak for my parents. So, yeah, so my dad worked in all the mills, and he was like, well, if, if you know, you better do something else because this is what you ha you can expect, right? If you don't do that, you can expect this. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go to all the mills and lug, you know, 50 pounds, right. you know, whatever he was hauling at that point. <laughs> like, so, uh, so, so that was definitely the, 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 you know, the, 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 the narrative at my household. If you don't want to go to Mulder Mills, you got to go to school, right? Or do something. Mm. And um, the way that you've seen education today, is that um, how important is college uh, for you when it comes to your kids? With the way that it's structured, how expensive it's gotten, all the alternatives that we're seeing coming up. Like, where do you, where do you I guess, you and your wife stand on, on a college education today? Yeah, I think uh, for me specifically, it, it gave me perspective. Um, you know, it 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 is so it it got me in touch with professors and other people that had a different lifestyle than I did growing up. So it gave me a different perspective on things, kind of like the military. So the military also gave me gave me a world perspective. So so I really thank the military for that for giving me a broader perspective in in life. And, and, and I would say for, for college the same way. Um, my, my wife is an educator. So, you know, just you can tell that that's, that's mm -hmm. where she leans towards. I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of education. Now, you don't necessarily have to get it from a university, um, but you have to have a really good alternative and you have to be plugged into education in some way, shape, or form. Right. You know, especially for a young kid of 18 who really has no direction. You know, we try to teach our, our son goals and, and making sure you're setting goals and, and seeing into your future. What is it that you really like? What is it that gets you up in the morning that you would like to see long term? That, that when you get up, it won't be a job, but it'll be something you like mm -hmm. to do. And you happen to get paid for it. Right. Because it has to be hand in hand. I don't want a starving artist. I want somebody yeah. getting, who's getting paid. So. If he's going to tell me, well, I want to do X, um, I'm going to tell him, well, you got to be the best at X, mm -hmm. right? So we've had conversations about, like, he wants to be uh, – he, he really likes soccer, right? He wants to be the best at soccer. So I've told him this is how it works for sports and for everything in life. This is how it works. You have to be the best in your team. First of all, be the best in your household. <laughs> Then you got to be the best in your team. Once you're the best in your team, you got to be the best in that um, in in that region. If you're the best in the region, then you got to be the best in the state, in the national, so on and so forth. So you always have to strive to to be the best in whatever uh, area you 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 decide to go through. But that's going to also indicate if you're going to have longevity. Is if you have if you're the best in your team, but you're not the best in the region. So that, that's as far as you're going to take it. Right. So let, let's, let's shift somewhere else, right? 
So what is it that you're really good at that you can, that you are also passionate about that can also get you money, right? What, <laughs> what, is that, what is that little niche, right? Find that and let's go for it. But if you're telling me that it's X and I don't have to go to college, okay, so, so how are you going to learn that? How are you going to plug into that to be the best? Yeah, yeah I, I like talking to people about college because I think it's, it's very – how expensive college has has gotten, I think is, uh, it's extremely unfair. And I think that there's a lot of people that um, are suffering today because of the decisions that they made when they were 18 years old. I mean, we just talked about, you know, you being 17, 18, not knowing what you're doing. Right. And then to make a decision to get into $50,000, by the way, to me, the process, like I didn't realize it, realize it then, but I look back on it now. And it's in, dude, it is insane. Like, think about this. Like you're talking to a 17 year old and you're telling them that at 17, you need to basically make a decision that will change the rest of your life. And by the way, it doesn't matter. And the way that it's sold is like, it doesn't matter whether you know what you want to do or not. You still have to go to a college because that's like the next viable step. Right. And I don't know if you remember, but at least to me, that money didn't seem like it was real. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 50,000, get to see you, right. okay, oh, 100,000, whatever. I'll tell you, man, it becomes real, real quick once you get out and you got to pay that back. <laughs> and, so that's, and so that's the insane part is that you're, you're giving kids access to this amount of money without them knowing what a loan is, let alone subsidized versus unsubsidized versus yeah. grants. Like you, you're not teaching that. You're just saying, Hey, go do this under the, the guise of, Oh, it's FAFSA, right? Oh, yeah. it's, it's, they're going to help you. It's FAFSA. So everything FAFSA is free money because that's how it's sold. It, but, but FAFSA is actually a, uh, it's, it's a marketing scheme. If you think about mm. it, because these, these loans are held by big corporations, right? Yep. So it's a marketing scheme. For kids it, it's, it's what it is and it's sad because that same kid has a great idea and wants to do something with that great idea and put a business together hey i need fifty thousand dollars go, go good luck trying to do that at, a, at 18 years old going to the bank with that pitch but yeah. if it's school good to go well we'll <laughs> let it happen right like right. i kid you not in school i was in my junior year and I met this one girl and I was just like, oh my gosh, like your parents have to be loaded because she was so nonchalant when she was telling me that she had changed majors three times. And she, she was, uh, and this was her third year in college as well. And she was a freshman. You know what I'm saying? So she's already spent yeah. three years worth of college, like debt, already banked. And she has four to go. It's crazy. You know, it's... Uh, it's interesting, man. I think that if you do college right, I think is definitely a good step for the right person. But I also think that we've done a disservice to the amount of jobs that are out there that don't necessarily require a degree as well. You know, speaking from a technology perspective, you know, there's plenty of comp big name companies like IBM and Microsoft that are coming up with, the with their own curriculums. At a, right. at a fraction of the price of a university. And at least for the technology side, you know, you give me a four-year curriculum that was set up 
eight years ago, once I come out of school, I'm going to be relevant to what's out in the market. You know what I mean? So I would be better off taking courses that are being provided by these, these companies that are leading the tech industry and being able to go into a workplace. But that's not to say that, you know, I don't want to discount and say that, you know, my, my degree didn't serve me well, because I've definitely been accepted to some companies that they still have that old school mentality of like, you got to have a degree in, right. in order to be, and those are still out there, but more and more, I think that, you know, uh, jobs are opening up to the idea that, you know, a college degree doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're doing. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, uh, experience is, is definitely a, a big thing in my book. So, and, and I hire some people in, in my job and yes, I look at, I look at the pedigree. So if you went to, to Harvard, you know, there's a certain pedigree there, but if right. it's, you know, if it's UMass versus, you know, Southern university or whatever, New Hampshire university, like it's, it's all a piece of paper at the end of the day, yeah. right? If you went to NECO and then went to, it's all a piece of paper at the end of the day. Um, so, so yeah, d- definitely do it um, in, in a way that's, that's budget conscious. Uh, do it in a way, my, my, this is the advice piece that I can give. My advice would be do not go into debt for yeah. school as much as possible. So there's, there's definitely ways to do it. There's ways to, 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 you know, be really good in school. Like, if you're really good in school, you're going to have uh, uh, the ability to go get uh, scholarships, right? It's just that we don't teach kids how where these scholarships are, first of all, mm. and where to go get it and how to go get it. And, and to for that to be, like, your part-time job is to go do go get the scholarships as many as you can. Yeah. And whatever you can, subsidize with a job. What, I, I worked, you know, through it, um, and, and I was able to, to, to pay for it that way. So why, why can't people you know, work a job, do school, you know, and all that. So I, I think there's ways to do it without getting into, into debt. Yeah, man. And I think that uh, it, it's going to be vital for me, I feel, and also for you, because obviously, you know, we're going to be hopefully, you know, the second generation of the migrants that come here will hopefully do better financially, right? Because you've, you've been here longer, you've been exposed to a little bit of more things, you know, the language. So you, you should be able to do a bit better financially. So the amount of financial aid that I got, my children are not going to receive that, right? Because you compare my income now and my wives versus my parents, you know, right. they're, they're, they're not going to be the same. So I think that those conversations are definitely um, good to have and, and early. Be, and, and not only, and it's not just about the money. I think it's more about the perspective that we now as second generation immigrants bring to the table. Like my parents never talked to me about debt, about finances. All they knew is that, and by the way, I don't blame them at all. They, in, in their mind is like, they did what was best, what they thought was best, which was I need to get my kid to go to college because that's what I understand is going to give them the best chance to succeed. Yeah. They did the best they could with the information they had at the time. Exactly. And we have a little bit more information, especially with the internet now. So I think it's up to us to really uh, teach our kids about the different options that they have and educate them as much as possible. And like, Hey, if you, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be et cetera, college is, is one option. And, if this is the way that you want to go, how do we do it in a smart way? You know? Right. And how do we yeah. not get $100,000 into debt or 200000 into debt? 
Yeah, I agreed. And and it's and it's that critical thinking piece that we that I am trying to really teach my son. It's how to critically think through situations like that. So what would be best for me? Right? So he's already as a freshman in in high school thinking about, okay, where is it what is it that I'm gonna do long term? And he's so he doesn't obviously he doesn't know it freshman year, but he has that in his mind as something that he needs to figure out. And now he's approaching school with that mentality mm. of I'm going to get good grades, but as a part of this, I'm going to also see what is it that I really am good at, one, what is it that I really like, and then again, what is it that can make me money? Mm-hmm. And, where, and, and th- when those three things intercede, that's where I'm going to go, right? So he's already thinking that and has that perspective in his mind. Because um, at the end of the day, the, the, the decision is his. Um, you know, and the, the, some of the best lessons are learned through, in my opinion, are learned through the mistakes that we make. No, for sure. Um, talking a little bit about, you know, education and being, and being informed. Um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, like, for example, for me uh, specifically, like, I didn't find out, I didn't know what a stock was until I got out into the workforce and I was my, I was like 22, 23 years old where um, one of my uh, managers, uh, white manager, not that that, you know, has a ton of relevance. I'll tell you. Man, it has right? a lot of relevance. Uh, re- <laughs> yeah, it definitely true, does. True that, true. Yes. Yes. Cause I guess yes. in, you know, in this community growing up in Lawrence, I never heard the word stock or that you could own a share in, in a company or anything like that. So that, mm-hmm. that notion was introduced to me um, in, in a company that I worked in, in New Hampshire, actually, uh, quite a little bit of ways away. But that was like my first introduction to, to anything like that. And I think that that's when I'm like, oh, like this is a thing. And that's where I started digging in and, you know, continued my education on, on that side of things. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't get that knowledge early enough. And my question to you is, I guess, before we even get into this, like, why why do you think that is like, why is it that that knowledge is not readily accessible to, to, to a lot of people today where, where I think it should be at this point, you know? Yeah. And and so I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, systemic things that we need to change from an education standpoint, for sure. Mm. Um, Our education system was set in the thirties and it hasn't evolved since then. Right. After, after the, the, the big um, manufacturing booms and things like that, that's when, edu- when, when kids left the factories and went into school, that's when the real education system was set in place, right? And it hasn't really changed since then. Um, and, and so, you know, the, it, it was either that or you go into, again, the manufacturing world. Um, but, you know, the, the manufacturing as, we, as it was back then is not the same as it is today. You, did, you need a different, um, you know, skill set and mindset and, and knowledge to, to be able to do that. Um, so I, I just think that those practical lessons of personal finance are definitely not taught in school. And my question would be why? Why isn't that part of the curriculum, right? Why isn't that, um, you know, why don't we teach about loans and debt and how to budget and how to manage money, right? That should be part of the curriculum because to your point earlier about you know oh your white friend told you about that 
you know, in, in, in a corporation, that's because his parents taught him yeah. that, right? And yes, it, it, in, in certain communities, that kind of knowledge is learned in the household. Very not early. All can, very early. But not all communities are like that, right? Not all communities are like that. So, it, we, we, so systematically, we have to put something in place so that everybody gets access to the same information, not just those with some privilege. Um, thankfully, we're privileged now. You know, so, so I think that's where our immigration thing comes into play, the first generation thing, where we saw what it was like, but we know how it can be, mm, right? Yeah, so yeah. so I, I think that's where we teach our kids. But again, what about what about me when I was young? Right. So, so that, you know, that's where we have to um, do better as a society is to implement uh, curriculums like that where we're teaching those basic fundamentals that everybody else has, but you know, certain communities don't. Yeah, it's so crazy that uh, <clears throat> in high school there isn't like a basic finance class. Yes, yeah, like I mean basics. home ec. There was home ec, right? But what did they teach yeah. in home ec? I taught you how to cook and clean. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like basic well, stuff, man. Like Dave Ramsey stuff. Like that, I think, is just, it's it's so crucial. And and again, it's, it's just unfortunate that, you know, I don't want to um, necessarily just put it all in the school, but I also don't fault the parents for not necessarily having that information as well. I just, I'm not sure, like, how do we... Um, get to a point where at some point, whether you're looking for it or not, these ideas are, are introduced to you. And I mean, that that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you anyways. And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, to release some of these videos is that I want to have these conversations and present these ideas that don't necessarily um, were readily available to us when, when, when we were growing up. And, you know, I, I, I want to get your perspective on like basic financing things that you've seen that have worked for you in your life and, and what you've been able to, to achieve and do, like what are the things that, you know, you wish that you knew when you were growing up that, that you know now? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most basic things, not necessarily the easiest, especially at first, but one of the most basic things, budgeting, like that's, that's one thing I wish somebody would have taught me, you know, start to finish. What, what, what is my monthly income versus what do I spend? What's that leftover? And what am I going to do with that leftover, right? Just that basic math, right? Which I knew that math. I just didn't know how to put those concepts together necessarily, right? In a, in a paper written out way to plan my, my month or my year, right? Mm. Um, so, so that's one of the main things that I think um, we, we need to teach and that I, I wish I would have uh, been taught. Uh, from, from the beginning is how to how to set up a proper budget and then how to have a plan for the money right how to how to plan for your money what what are you going to do with it um you know that that's that's key yeah and um so dave you know I, I, i'm mentioning dave ramsey like i said you know we've both read that book and i think to a certain extent yeah. you know we've both followed a lot of his uh a lot of his steps. And I think that uh, there's, there's a point where you finish a certain amount of steps where you start investing and investing for the future. And yeah. one of the primary reasons why um, I wanted to have you on is, is because you, you are specifically involved in the stock market. And mm. of course, I know that, you know, we're not going to get into giving people specific advice on things that they should be doing, but uh, 
I want to talk um, in general and kind of have a broad perspective of like, what is this stock market thing and, and how do I plan for it and how, do, how can, can I get involved or, or what should I be looking for or what things should, should we um, try to understand better to, to really um, figure this thing out? Because I mean, Dave, and I'll just, you know, in his book, he talks about choosing uh, certain index funds and mutual funds that, you know, yield whatever, you know, 10% a year. And if mm -hmm, you put that mm -hmm. certain amount of money, when you're 65, you'll be a millionaire, et cetera. But, you know, for somebody that, you know, just listens to that part, they're like, yeah, that sounds easy enough, but I don't even know what an index fund is or a mutual fund is. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and, and I'm going to, to lean on Dave Ramsey a lot because I'm definitely a believer uh, of that. But, but before we get into that, I want to say that um, you can't fly before you, you know, walk, before you crawl, before you, you know, you, you got to start. And, and so that's yeah. why, again, if you don't have a budget, shut this conversation off and go to Dave Ramsey <laughs> and go find out how to do a budget. Because you need, that's the first step. You need to be able yeah. to have a plan for it. Because if, if you go into step, I think it's step five at that point, um, where, where you're investing and, and, and you're still in debt and you don't have a budget and, you know, you're spending, you're, you're living on more than you make, yeah. you're putting the cart before the horse and you're going to get in trouble that way because you're going to have this money out there that needs to work for you first before you can put it to work. Yeah. Because then so, you're going to so be chained down. I think we can both agree on the fact that you need to have a certain amount of money saved up in your bank account in case anything comes up before you even consider investing. You should definitely, if you don't take, if you take anything away from this is that you should definitely have all your credit card debts paid off in full before you even consider investing in anything, period. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation <laughs> point. Yes. Absolutely. So, so once you get to that level, make sure you have a, a good level of emergency money in place so that when it rains and it's been raining this whole year, right? Oh yeah. So when it rains, it doesn't pour because you have a bucket and you have yeah. something to sustain you. So definitely have uh, that, that safety net, you know, they eventually says three to six months at this point, I think, this has scared us into six to 10 months, right? So yeah. make sure we have some cushion. Once you have that in place, now pay attention. Once you have that in place, then we can go into the investment uh, in the stock market or whatever. Um, you know, and, and the stock market is a crazy thing. We see, you know, every night the news puts on some numbers and you see green or red. And then that gives you, oh, the stock market went up, the stock market went down. Um, but, but what that is, is it's called an index, right? It, it's basically saying, how did certain companies of certain sizes do on that day, right? So how did, my, how did Apple, how did Microsoft, how did Google do on that day, right? So if these companies were to completely go bankrupt, how would the world look like? So that's why those companies are super important, mm. right? That's the stock market because those super mega companies are what are defining our lifestyle if you think about it, right? And, and with, with the services and the goods that they provide and the products they provide, we're using them heavily. That's why they're such a huge multi-billion dollar companies. 
So that's why you see that on the news because that's what it's that's the the the, the companies or the stocks of those companies. It's what that's tracking. So that's not the economy, though. So if you think, oh, the stock market went up, the economy's doing great. That's not the economy. That's <laughs> those companies. That's those specific companies that are doing well or doing poorly for that particular day. I mean, you can look at it now. Too, and I'll tell you, man, I, I mean, we've had conversations about this, you and I, in the past. But the stock market scares the bejesus out of me, it scares the crap out of me because – and to, to your point, like the economy, you can't necessarily say that it's doing amazing, but you're having these spikes in the stock market that me looking at it, I'm like, I don't know how that's happening, you know? Yeah. And, and, so, there, and, and so that's where, again, that's where certain courses in college or certain books that you got to read, again, again, back to the education piece. You have to plug into the education one way or another, whether it's heavily in books. Uh, if it's going to be just books in that college, make sure you're reading those books as well. Right? It's not just about your own knowledge contained in your brain. There's other people that have done it. So you got to get other perspectives. But anyways, um, so as far as the 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 stock or the economy is concerned, that's just one indicator, right? There's GDP, the gross domestic product. There's you know what do we as a nation produce out to the world, right? Right now, GDP is rock bottom because we're not producing. <laughs> Nobody's going to work, right? Only the companies, these virtual companies, are producing something. So that's an indicator, right? Exports and imports, you know, that's not, and, and that's why you see oh trade war with China. That's another indicator because what what's coming in, what's going out, who's buying our stuff overseas. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different indicators to the economy. The stock market is just one indicator. So that's why, you know, there's what's the number? I think it's 11 million people out of work still, but the stock market's going up, right? That's how that can happen because it's two separate indicators. So mm -hmm. the job market is another economy economic indicator right that's why 10 million people are gonna be able to work but the company who's working virtually doing really well but yeah. but to your point anything can affect it so you know for example this week the big news was what was it i don't know if you kept up with the news but like what was the big big news this past monday or, two, or sunday whatever it was what was the big global news what are you talking about the election no no well apart from the election um, specific to the company, what we're experiencing now, it was that somebody has a vaccine out there, a, a company called Pfizer, right? That that now it's ninety percent effective. So what did the market do? Oh, great, we're going to go back shut to up. work, yeah. right? We're, yeah, so shut up because. But it's funny that the companies who were doing really well because they're virtually, the, you know, like the Amazons, those companies went down that day. And the other companies that were doing poorly went up that day, right? And so that's any it, it's it's definitely fickle uh, when it would you know the, the the those markets. So you know uh, if you're going to get into any investing, stocks, houses, car, any well any investment. I, I don't consider cars an investment unless you're like into vintage cars. But like if you are going into any investment, make sure that you know what you are getting into. 
again, back to the education piece. Know what you're doing. Don't get into, don't get into something that you don't know anything about. That's right. the worst thing you can do. Because then you're going to lose your money. That's the most riskiest investment is doing something that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think that the most, and maybe it's because I just, you know, I don't know enough about the stock market. It's, you know, it's, it's interest. It has interested me first until a certain point, but then it, it's just not enough for me to, you know, um, take up a, a large chunk of money and, and invest in that. And, you know, most of my stuff, you know, it's in real estate and other things like that. But um, I think one of the most dangerous things that it's out there is the uh, either penny trading or like, mm. you know, when people are just buying single stocks that they want to, they're going to wait for it to come back a little bit and then they're going to sell it because a lot of it is just, it really, it, it is gambling. It's just <clears throat> speculation. I mean, sometimes you can make educated guess on certain things, but more often than not, man, the way that I, at least for me, from a person that maybe just doesn't know enough is that this stock market stuff just seems to, you know, go up and down and, you know, you may put a, whatever, $10,000 on a stock that you think is going to go up tomorrow and it dips. And now you better hope that that thing comes back, comes back up before you can uh, sell your, sell your shares essentially, you know, it's kind of scary. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to unpack. You mentioned, you mentioned penny stocks. Um, just to kind of qualify that, what that is, is, uh, and oh, yeah, explain that. <laughs> so, so first of all, stocks are, if I have a company, if I, I, I make a widget, I'm really good at making widgets, and I'm so good that I want to take it to a, a, a national level, and I want everybody to have my widgets. <clears throat> I need money to do that. And I can't do that on my own, and my friends can't just support me, so I, I need money. So what I do is I put out an IPO, an, an initial public offering, so that the public can say, Okay, this is a good company. Um, I want, I like your product, I like your widget, and I want to put money in it, right? And so that's that initial offering to the public, and that's how a, that's how a company gets to have stock. So basically, you have uh, ownership. That's what stock is: ownership in a certain company, a certain level of ownership. Uh, so penny stocks are well, that stock is going to be worth five dollars or less. Right, so if I buy a stock, it's going to be worth two dollars. So how, in comparison to like an Apple, which is thousands of dollars, right, per per individual stock. So that's what a penny stock is. So in that case, think about what you're doing. Again, you, you got to crit- critically think. If you're if if these are penny stocks, these are small size companies, like super small size companies. So yeah, anything can affect a small company. Anything can affect it. So if you invest in that, it's a, it's you're taking a risk, in a market risk because it's a small company. So anything mm-hmm. can affect it. Management of the company, uh, the economy within the corporate offices that, that sustains that. You know the employees, like everything, uh, can affect that particular company. The price of uh, of the the little you know screw that goes into the widget went up. Now the company goes out of business because it, it can't afford it. Right. So. Anything affects it. But what you can think about is, okay, what do I use on a daily basis? You know, what, what do we use? We use our phones. We use, you know, um, uh, uh, oil to cook. We use uh, certain products to wash our hair and, and, and take a bath. So 
take a look at the label. What, what companies are making that, right? What, what are we using on a daily basis that we'll always use, right? And so those companies are more stable in a sense. But yeah, there's always risk when, when, when you're investing in anything. There's, there's that market risk. There's the risk of you not making enough money over time too, right? So if you're too uh, risk averse, like you don't want to take a risk, then mm-hmm. that's a risk too because, you know, you could have made some money, right? right. So, so there's, you're taking a risk regardless. It's just a matter of what risk you want to take. Right. Yeah, I think that... <clears throat> It's definitely important that whenever you're ramping up and getting ready to invest that, or at least I take risks, but uh, I take uh, calculative risks. And in my calculations, I put in how much money do I need and my family needs to survive and how much money can I do without. And that's that month. And that's the money that I use to invest. Um, because I don't, I, I don't want to be caught in a situation where I made an investment and now my livelihood and my family are in danger. You know, like, I mean, right. listen, there's definitely people that do that. And there's people that have been successful at doing that. I'm just not that type of investor. You know, I, uh, I, I put the security of my family, you know, before anything else. You know what I mean? Um right. And if I were to ever recommend for anybody to do anything, I, I would uh, err on that side because I think it you can cause the least damage and still uh, progress and, and, and move ahead, you know, right. in, in, when it comes to investing. But, you know, I think that in the uh, getting into the investment topic, like why is investing so important? Um. So it comes back in, to, in, in to, your opinion. Yeah, it comes back to something, you know, I said was, you know, you got to make your money work for you, right? So if, if, you know, you're obviously going to work nine to five for, for a lot of us, um, but what's your money doing? Is it just sitting in the, uh, under your mattress or is it doing something for you? So, so the thing that got to me, right, the real thing that got me into investments was um, an, an, uh, a, a, an interest calculator, right? To, to kind of see, okay, what is, if I put X amount of money today, what is it going to be tomorrow? What is it going to be over 10 years and so on? So if you see, I, I wish I had that graphic, or maybe you could put it on later on with your editing super skills. But if you see money kind of grow in that way, it goes super exponentially. Right, and if and if you see that visual, it really it's what's called the anyways. That's what's called the rule of seventy-two, where basically how long is it going to take to double my money, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have, um, you know, uh, if you have at eight percent interest, divide that by seventy-two, it's going to take you nine years to double your money, right? Or if it's, you know, uh, if it's twelve uh, percent, then it's going to take you six years to double your money. So think about that. So if you're, if you're getting 12%, whatever you invest, right, 12%, rule of 72, if you want to double it in six years, that means you're, it's going to take you six years to get, you know, if you have 100,000, you're going to have 200,000 by six years. Right. And another six years, you're going to have 400,000, right. so on and so forth, right? Compound um, interest? The compound interest calculator. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the, thank you. Um, so, 
that's something that I wish I was taught to, compound interest. Meaning that if you are in your 20s healing this, go Google compound interest and put in some numbers. Go play with that calculator and see how it works because your ability to, to, to have that grow over time is a lot more than me and my 38 years old, right? right. So, um, so that to me is, is, is super important to, to know uh, on, on how that grows for you. That's what, get, that's what got me excited. And you see those examples too online when you, you know, when, when people do these searches where, you know, they put the 20 year old versus the 30 year old and they put like, you know, 30 year old is putting like double the amount, but the kid that started with, you know, half of that, you know, he's doing way better, you know, 10 years on the line than the, you know, at 40, you know, they show you the graph and how the compound interest works. And the one that started at 20 is doing twice as, as better as the one that started at 30, even though, they were putting in double the money. You know, it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, and and, it, and it, it's almost sad because, uh, you know, it, it goes back to what we were talking about, that not enough people learn about investing um, early, early enough to right. be able. And I mean, it, it makes a difference, but it really makes a difference when you start early. The earlier right. you start um, educating yourself, the better off you're going to be um, in, in the end. Um, and I think that I, w- I want to get your perspective on this because, uh, I've, I've struggled with my dad. So my dad is super old school. He's like 72 at this point. There isn't anything that I can say to him to get him to like consider any type of investing, like whatsoever. Like he has that old school mentality of like, you know, he likes seeing that number. He likes seeing that number in the bank. Like you can talk to him about appreciation. You can talk to him about, um, right. how the dollar works, how every Time year value, is going to be yeah. worth less depreciation overall. And it just like goes one ear and out the other. And it's like, and he's still working. He's still, he's not retired. He's still working today. Yeah. So it's like, what's he going to retire on? Exactly. <laughs> that, 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 that little nest egg that he's building up, you know, <laughs> that little nest egg is what, what he's looking for. That's my retirement. Yeah. You know, that's his retirement. Um, yeah, I mean, and so again, the, the, the time aspect of it, like if he's in his sixties, I mean, what's he going to do? So the stock market, it, you, we mentioned it goes up every day and it, and it gives you anxiety because it goes up and down. So if you take a, if you approach it from <clears throat> a day trading perspective, like if you're going in buying and selling every day, yeah, y- y- yeah. you're going to have, uh, you know, ulcers and migraines and all of that stuff. Yeah. And it's super, it, it does cause a lot of anxiety because of all of the different risks that we just talked about. But if you take it on a long-term view, mm. again, that's where this time, you know, uh, value comes into play. And that's where the, the, the um, that calculator comes into play, right? The rule of 72 over time. So for him, he doesn't have time. <laughs> He's already yeah. at that point. So what is he going to, how is he going to make money over time if, if he doesn't have any time. You see, this is where right? I think that real estate would be a better option than stocks because of the way that, that you can purchase and the, um, the cash money that you get every month would be quite different than investing like in the stock market because, I mean, we haven't even talked about dividends, but unless you have like millions of dollars, man, like, you know, the dividend payouts are, aren't really going to make 
that much of a difference. Um, yeah, well, agreed. Why, why do you think that is what, well, my dad, maybe he's a little bit of an extreme case because he's, he's a little bit older at this time, but in general, what, what, what do you think that, and specifically Hispanics, like why don't we invest for the future? Like why don't we have that in, in, in our preview? So the other than real estate, I think real estate is a concept that's transcendent upon every, you know, culture and every, um, you know, every, every country, but the stock market is a foreign concept to anybody who hasn't lived here. Mm. Like stock market does not exist in Dominican Republic in the way that we know it. Stock market does not exist in Mexico, and and the stability around it does not exist the way we know it. So that's one thing. Like, there is no 401k or IRA type product. There's what's called a pension that your company, by the way, pays into, and and your company is go is the one that's going to get you into retirement if you work for them for X amount of money. That's that's the mentality. Matter of fact, that's the mentality that was here all the way through like the 50s or the 70s. Um. But there's no more pensions here. And I don't know how much that works today, by the way. It does. That, today, there's no pensions. That, Unless, you work for the government, for day, no pensions. <laughs> Unless you work for the government, there's no pensions in your life, yeah. right? Uh, the government, if, if you're looking for that, you know, working for 20 years and you get a good pension, go to the government. But other than that, um, those concepts are foreign to our parents because they didn't have it. Like, it, it, they literally, it doesn't fit into their brain because they have not seen it. Uh, now, investing in real estate is what they know, right? Or investing in and in, in building your own business. That's why there's a lot, a million entrepreneurs, if you think about Lawrence, mm-hmm. a million entrepreneurs with their barbershops and the bodegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they know because that's what investing is in their country. You know, you know funny, funny story is that, <clears throat> I kid you not, I must have, I think I, I was still in high school and I was having conversations with my, with my friends and I was telling them, listen, man. One day, whenever I'm making money, like I'm going to buy a rental property. And to be honest, I didn't know all the terminology that I know now and everything that I know. But I was just like, it makes sense to buy a building and have people pay me rent and I'm paying for that and I'm living for free. Like as a teenager, that was my mindset. And that was like what I was familiar with. I mean, my uncle owned the building that we were renting from. You know, so I think that's a, that's a very uh, important point that you make and something that I didn't quite, I hadn't thought about before that it's, it's, that has, that has given me a different understanding, but it's, it's so definitely true. It's that, what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's your reality. So you know, it works because you saw it, because you saw it personally. Yeah. So you know, it works. Why would you, why would you think otherwise? Right. Right. That's the same thing with our parents. They haven't seen anything other than entrepreneurial or, or you know, that's why what, what, when, when they tell you to go to college, our, our parents specifically, what are the three degrees that they tell you to have to get? As a, as a, come on, you know this. What are the three degrees? I know the first two is doctor and lawyer. What's the third one? Doctor, oh, lawyer, and ingeniero civil. Right. <laughs> Those are the three, and that that's across all Latin American countries, and so that's why they, when they say you should go to school, that's what they're thinking about. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, those yeah. three particular degrees, lawyer, doctor, uh, and, and civil engineer, which, by the way, there's you're not building any any towers around here. <laughs> They're all pretty much <laughs> Um, so, um, so that's what they're thinking about. Right. And so that's what they know. Again, going back to what you know is what you do. Um, and, and so that's where access to information is important. Um, my parents were not entrepreneurs. They were, um, you know, my parents, again, worked in all the mills, worked in the school system. So they had this retirement plan, um, called a 403B or a 401K, which by the way, that's how everybody in this pretty much country that has a full-time job with benefits, that's how you have access to the stock market is through your retirement plans, right? Um, and, and you have to take control of that because our parents were, were counting on a pension. But they, they had these, these retirement plans that I saw the statements. I'm like, that's it? So what are you going to do when you retire? And the question was, well, I don't know. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out at that point. So it's like, oh, we're going to live on Social Security, which, thank God, they could probably still do. Um, but that's not going to work for us. Like, as we talked about, things get more expensive over time. So we have to take control of it. Um, and, and so, again, going back to you do what you know. And so what I saw was, well, they're going into retirement with little to no money almost. So I have to go what? You know, they have a, a, a decent nest egg, but but nothing that's going to take them through, um, you know, through through their through their ages, you know, through, through their, their golden 80s. years. They're golden. They're golden, golden years. <laughs> right. They're platinum years, actually. But they're not going to take them through that. Um, so that's when I started. Like, okay, I, I need to know more about this because I need to secure that for me and my kids. And you know, by the way, I have to, you know, Latinos take care of their family too. So I'm going to take care of my parents as well, right? So that's my retirement plan. It's yeah. take care of everybody. And so here's, here's a key difference. And um, I don't know, maybe, there's, maybe they link to each other somehow. So now that I'm thinking about it, but white folk, and I speak specifically about them because this is something that is not, that I didn't hear talked about growing up in the Hispanic community, is the word generational wealth. Mm. That word never crossed my ears growing up. But it's something that I've heard a lot, especially coming from white people. And it's some and it's a and it's a concept that it's that it's really focused on. And it's something yeah. that I'm focused on at this point now because I'm thinking of the future and I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my children and the people that come after me. But that's not necessarily a notion that I think Hispanics have for the most part. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, and you know, I don't know if, um, maybe, maybe this is a stretch, but I think that, you know, uh, Hispanic culture and, 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 and I think uh, the Indian culture, but and, and, and I think most uh, cultures outside of the, uh, like Caucasian culture really um, do, um, there are generations that live within the same household where like my, like, for example, my grandma is living with my parents now. Like that's her retirement. Like she's chilling in her room, watching TV and like her daughter and her husband are hooking her up. You know what yeah. I mean? <clears throat> and I'm almost wondering that maybe because that's, 
um, the culture is that my children will take care of me when I'm older, that maybe that notion of building generational wealth, like to financially mm. support other generations to come is not necessarily something that's, that's thought about as much. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, that, that's a good thought. I, I, I agree um, that, you know, that's a lot of people's retirement plans is I'm going to just take care of my kids so they can take care of me. Yeah, that's definitely in our culture. Um, however, it also depends on where you were at in your culture of origin as well. Um, so explain. if you, what's that? Explain, explain. So if you didn't have much growing up, and again, didn't have access to information or ideas that can, that can open up your mind, then that's the level that you'll get to, Right. right? Case in point, my um, my wife's grandmother. She literally was sold to a family in Ecuador when she was when she was twelve years old, and that was her reality. <clears throat> sold into into a marriage that that whole you know a whole thing. You know, if you think about that in, in, in Ecuador, so she came from like the 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 mountains, right? The rural mountains, sold. Uh, to to a family, they, she was a certain, then then was married off to a certain family, uh, you know, certain person. Um, and story has it, she came, she comes over here, and her biggest goal in her whole life was to work and to one day have a house. She got the house, which she still has today, and she she's eighty something years old, still working. Like, that's her mentality, that she's going to work until the wheels fall off, right? And there's no talking her out of that. In one way, shape, or form, like, if we're going to take care of her or her mother's going to take care of her, it's, we have to make it seem like there's a job somewhere for her. Because she's not <laughs> – that's just her reality. Again, it's where you come from. Now, my, my father, again, with, you know, the, uh, I told you he had – my grandfather was put in a, in a, over a government – uh, city in in uh, region, I should say, in DR. Yeah. So he was able to actually invest in some property and build a little bit of wealth, and so that's why they had eight kids, and they were well off. So my dad was well off, and his family was well off in that city. So he had the idea. Well, I'm going to invest in land. So there was mm -hmm. a lot of land, but I go. So you know, if, if there's nobody over it, it, it's the the information is gone. So it's more about the information you pass on than the money or the land you pass on because mm. all those deeds, who knows where the hell they went, you know, where the heck they went at this point. So all that land that they had, nobody knows where the deeds are. And so now nobody has the money. <laughs> Millions of acres, government or whoever took them because, no, because he died off. Uh, you know, uh, tragically he died when my son, when my father was 11 um, you know, of, of a condition, I think with diabetes, but that information died off for them. Right. And, and so, so today it's, they're not the family that they were in their golden years in the fifties or mm. the forties. Right? right. So it's, it's also the information, not only the money that you pass, but the information you pass along as well. Uh, and that's where you see like the Rockefellers, they pass on not only the money, but the information. Yeah. You know, and on how to get it and how to maintain it and how to keep it and how to grow it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that's a, 
that's a very important point. And I think that, and I mean, it goes back full circle to what we started talking about at the beginning is that, you know, that information is key. You know, I think that, you know, maybe my dad would have been in a, my family would have been in a different situation. Um, than they, than they were not, not that they're by any means, um, suffering or anything like that. Cause I'll tell you one, one of the most beautiful things about this country is that my dad has a third grade education and he owns his own house, his own property. And he, uh, he is doing well for himself. Uh, I mean, he worked hard and he worked a lot, but I'll tell you, man, he's, he's doing, he's pretty well off compared to a lot of people that are coming out of school with a degree and everything. I'll, I'll tell you that much. So it's, yeah. it, it, it's interesting that, you know, maybe the, maybe the information wasn't there for a lot of that generation, but man, that work ethic was freaking strong. And, and so that's, that's where I think our generation excels is if we can, if we can apply the work ethic that our parents had to the work that is, that we're doing today, plus the information that we have today. I mean, the sky's the limit. You said to yourself, this is the, this is the greatest country. Back to that story of my, of my, my, uh, my wife's grandmother. She didn't have an education at all. She learned to read, get this, by reading the Bible. That's really? how she learned to read, is by reading the Bible. Like some, like over and over, and somebody teaching her, what does this word say? What does that letter say? And how do you put together? Like that's how she learned. Uh, and again, she came to this country without a, a, a cent in her pocket and was able to, to get her house, work, have a little bit of a nest egg at least, right? But she has a little bit of something. That's the greatest country in the world that we live in. And, and, and I think people don't, people are, are, are making a huge fuss over a lot of things, rightly so in some situations. But at the end of the day, we still live in America. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, there isn't anybody that's living here today that's going to fly off and go live somewhere else. <laughs> right. Unless, unless you've been here for so long that you're just right. jaded to, well, this is not the greatest country. Go. Go go find yeah, out if yeah. there's a better country. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, my dad for the longest time he was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever." After I get to a certain age, I'm gonna go to the ER. You talk to him about going to the ER. He's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna chill. I'm gonna I'm gonna chill yeah. out here." No, nope, they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> they want to stay here. Oh man, oh, yeah. that's awesome. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, I really appreciate you. You know, taking the time to 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 talk to me, you know, there's a great deal of things that I didn't know about you that I'm glad that I learned today. And I think that we touched on a lot of great topics, uh, specifically just coming, uh, talking about information, which is, you know, the purpose of, of this entire project is to, to be able to get, you know, these conversations and have that information uh, be dispersed and, and, and be out there. And before I give you kind of like, you know, any last words that, that you want to share with, with people that are watching this, I want to ask yeah. you something that is, who do you think, um, or who should I, that you know, should I be reaching out to, to, to interview, to help uh, progress this project? Somebody that you think that I should have on and, and interviewing and get their perspective on, on things. Does anybody come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely uh, uh, think of some names that, that you and I know together um, to get different perspective. I mean, again, um, maybe get the doctor or the lawyer or the civil engineer that did it the way my, you know, our parents told us to do mm. it and, and find out how that, how that went for them type of thing uh, and how that influenced their thinking and going into those fields. So maybe, maybe 
find a doctor, find a lawyer, you know, yeah. or a civil engineer. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's educators too. Uh, maybe somebody in the education field uh, that, that, that might have a different perspective on, on education. Um, entrepreneurs. I, I think we, I can definitely mention a couple of entrepreneurs that, that I, I think, you know, how, how do you, pick yourself up by the bootstrap and build something out of nothing. I think that's, right. that's definitely something that should be, um, you know, valued and, 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 and sought after and, and really dove in, dive into that particular uh, area. But I can give you some names. No, sounds good. Um, but yeah, man, any, any last words as we, as we wrap up here that you want to share? Yeah, so um, what I would say is this. Uh, you guys heard my, uh, you know, my origin story, back, uh, back story. Um, you know, what happened in my 20s that gave me even broader perspective wasn't the military. It wasn't, it, partly it was the military, partly was, uh, you know, uh, uh, college. But what really gave me perspective was my faith in Christ. Um, and, and so that's what, I would say he was the one, Christ was the one in my life that set me on the straight and narrow, right? Really going into that knowledge, right? So <clears throat> if you think about investments, yes, you can invest here. You should invest here. You should definitely invest in uh, your 80-year plan for sure. Figure it out. Get Tap into information. Tap into Manny. Tap into, tap into anybody, but get the information to make this life, uh, you know, the, the best that, that God has, has put you on this earth to be, and to be not only for you, because that's the key. It's not just about you, especially as, as a man of faith. It's about others. How are you going to use that to bless others, right? If, if you're using it to hoard it, I've found that it goes, it comes in one way, it goes out the other. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to, the plan should be not only for me and mine, but for others, right? How do I bless others through building wealth is, you know, how do I set somebody else up for success? One, um, but, but again, Jesus Christ was the person who gave me that perspective um, to be able to, to, to live a certain lifestyle um, that was able to change my behaviors because you can't do all of this without changing certain behaviors. And so uh, he was the one because I converted my life to Christ, because he came into my life, I was able to kind of lead a different lifestyle and, and get a better perspective. So that's the investment that I would say you should really invest in is that eternal long-term investment as well is um, the things that are, you know, are eternal. The, the, you know, whatever amount of money, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, their wealth stops at the grave. Right? So that's it. Um, they got a good 80 years, 90, 100, depending on the, the science, but that's it, right? <laughs> how else? Uh, how can you build eternal wealth? And, and that's where I'm focusing my investments a lot right now is, you know, how do I build something that leaves a legacy here for others to, um, you know, to, to, to come to heaven with me, literally, right? And, and so I'm a pastor as well. That's something I didn't share before. So I'm a pastor at a local church here in, in, in Lawrence. And, you know, part of my 
drive or part of the things that I focus on and build is how do I build something where others can have an encounter with a life-changing experience with Christ, mm-hmm. right? So that they can then invest in that and so that they can have eternal wealth. So that's what I want to leave you with it is invest here to not only help you and yours, but to help others. You have to be able to give and, 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 and have that charitable giving to others, not just to a forward review, but literally change somebody's life. Um, and also invest in eternity. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. Cause that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, money is nice to have, but it's not going to bring you, uh, the happiness that you really desire. You know, we see, we see it everywhere. We've seen examples of plenty of celebrities. They have all the money in the world. And at the end of the day, they're empty. And unfortunately, a lot of them take their own lives. So um, I think that people would do well to, to listen to if out of everything, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the most important things is that, you know, money at the end of the day is, it's not all. And there's definitely um, uh, something besides uh, financial wealth to, to strive for. So, um, man, I just, I want to say, I want to thank you. You know, this, uh, I know that this interview took a little bit long, but I appreciate you. We, we Joe Rogan did, I told yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for, you know, taking away time from whatever you could have else you could have been doing, spending time with family, anything else. But, uh, man, it was, it was a pleasure having you, man, for real. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you. Really good at this. Really good interview. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> appreciate it. Right, Take brother. it easy, have everybody. See ya.